This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to Digital Nomads, a podcast about nomadism and nomadic peoples around the world and throughout history. I'm your host, Maggie, and today I'm speaking with Aili Keskitalo, a Sami activist and advocate who's currently a political advisor on Indigenous peoples, climate, and environment for Amnesty International Norway, and who previously served as president of the Sami Parliament of Norway. Thank you so much for joining me. It's a pleasure to be here. So I think there are a lot of things in your long career in politics and activism and human rights work that we could talk about, uh, but I actually invited you to join me today to discuss a specific project that you worked on several years ago, which is a collaboration that took place between the Sami community and Walt Disney Animation Studios around the representation of Sami people's culture and heritage in the film Frozen 2. And this collaboration arose as a result of how Sami culture and identity was portrayed in the first Frozen movie, namely in a way that was culturally appropriative and incorporated without consultation with the Sami community. Can you explain what some of those problems were with the portrayal of the Sami in Frozen 1? Well, it obviously happened without uh, any kind of consent from us as a people. And we were a little bit surprised. Uh, many were delighted uh, that uh, our culture and our traditions could be an inspiration to a storyteller like uh, Walt Disney Animation Studios. But at the same time, I think many of us felt a little bit hijacked. We were not able to ensure and to build trust with those who uh, represented our culture on a really big scene. A really, you know, when Walt Disney tells a story, 
it has a great impact. It's like a huge, huge loudspeaker. And if we would try to tell our story and our uh, represent our cultures, we would never get to use such a loudspeaker. Mm. So any stories we would like to tell would obviously drown in the massivity of uh, a story uh, told by such a big international corporation. So it was that kind of imbalance uh, that felt really, really disturbing. When we realized uh, that there were plans about a follow-up, the Frozen 2 movie, we decided that this time we would like to achieve some kind of influence and uh, hopefully consent in uh, what was represented and how we as a people or our our story were were represented on on that big, huge uh, scene. So that was the reason why why we decided to reach out to uh, Walt Disney Animation Studios to explore the possibilities for uh, securing respect for us as a people and our right to our culture. Luckily, we got a response and we were able to engage with um, Walt Disney Animation Studios in in the follow-up process. I I think indigenous peoples have many experiences that are the stories we would like to tell is not necessarily uh, the stories that mainstream society finds engaging or inspiring. That is kind of a sad fact that uh, we don't often get to choose uh, which stories get highlighted. And um, so there, there is that power imbalance that I think you would have to be an indigenous person yourself or a minority representative in some kind to see this uh, power imbalance and uh, how it works. Mm-hmm. And I'm a mother myself. I'm a mother of uh, three girls, and I know the impact of big media. And uh, one of the things that I found disturbing was that even my children, Sami children, would have a greater chance of being exposed to the Walt Disney version of the Sami culture than the version told by ourselves, even Sami children. And I found that Uh, disturbing because media is so powerful and films, even in animation, is really a powerful storyteller. Ideally, I would like ourselves to be able to tell our own stories of our own choosing in our own way, both to our own children, but also to uh, the rest of the world. And I think this collaboration has been helpful to be able to do that. Because the, it gave us very many useful experiences that we can build on in our own cultural creative industries. And also we were able to invest in studio equipment that would, for the future, make us a more attractive partner for any kind of film production, even for uh, dubbing of mainstream film into our languages. I think uh, the collaboration was very useful in many different ways. 
but to get back to the question you asked, we wanted to gain some kind of influence and control over how our own culture would be represented on a big scene. And we were able to do that. And so you said that you reached out to Walt Disney Animation Studios about this process of collaborating on uh, Frozen 2. Can you talk about what the background to that was? I imagine there must have been some discussion among the Sami community around, you know, the first Frozen movie and what could be done as a response. What did that look like? What did those kind of internal discussions look like and who was who was involved in those? There were many kinds of discussions. There were those kind of discussions that were related to the media and media content in our languages to our children. And there were thoughts about how Walt Disney Animation Studios should do as a gesture for exploring and getting inspiration for their stories from our culture. There was a feeling that they needed to give something back to our mm-hmm. societies. And uh, one of the ideas was uh, Sami language versions of, uh, of some of their content. Uh, so that was one kind of discussion. But of course, uh, there were also, also discussions on uh, who owns the Sami culture, who gets the say, who gets to give consent. Of course, also critical voices about the risks of um, entering into conversations with a partner, a possible partner, uh, with all the resources that such a big corporation would would have available, both financial, creative, uh, uh, legal, uh, all kind of resources that we as small people wouldn't necessarily have. So that uh, possible power imbalance... uh, that was also discussed. Also, voices that would rather that we put resources into producing films in our own languages based on our own stories, that we should do it ourselves. Uh, and I, I understand all of those um, perspectives. But our joint point of view from the political leaders of uh, all the three Sami parliaments And the Sami Umbrella Organization, Sami Council, which is an NGO, a Sami NGO. Together, we discussed the opportunities and the risks. And we concluded that it would be worth exploring, even if it could entail some risks. Because we knew that Walt Disney Animation Studios, they had already produced Frozen 1, the first movie. And uh, we probably couldn't have stopped them from uh, producing the next movie. But what I think we succeeded in doing was explaining them Mm -hmm. that our contribution would make it a better movie. And I strongly believe that it did. I I firmly believe that Yeetnjongokte, as it's called in our language, Frozen 2, is a better production because of the Sami collaboration, because of our creative and culturally sensitive uh, contributions into the production. I think we succeeded in making it a better movie. So I think from a Sami perspective, it would have been worse (laughs) without our input, uh, but we also gained valuable experience 
both those who uh, were a part of the creative consultancy group, uh, the VED group that are highly competent cultural practitioners that made themselves available for uh, the Walt Disney Animation Studios creative team, but also for us on a political level, because we were able to speak with one voice to such a big uh, global corporation. And you know, indigenous peoples, we have so many experiences with kind of being played if governments, for example, succeed in their divide and conquer tactics. So we have many such experiences. So to us, it was really empowering to see that we were able to speak with one voice on a, in a way that we could give a clear message on our hard and soft lines when it came to how our culture was represented. And it seems like one of the results of this was this contract that was signed between representatives of the Sami community and Walt Disney Animation Studios, kind of governing what this collaboration and consultancy process would look like and how the Sami community would benefit. And the contract is available online, so I can link that in the episode description for anyone who's interested in reading it. But can you talk about what's included in that and why? Well, to us, it was really important that Walt Disney Animation Studios realized, not necessarily accepted, but acknowledged that we are of the opinion that we own our own culture. So they acknowledged our opinion, even if we wouldn't probably always agree on everything. But that kind of acknowledgement is an important uh, starting point for any kind of partnership, I think. And also, it is important that the contract, it's a two-way contract. We had something to offer. We could offer our consent and we could offer our consultants, our experts. They also had something to offer. And uh, that would be, among others, they agreed that there should be published a Sami language, language version of Frozen 2. You know, it's really hard to explain what a big achievement that was for our people. We don't have many films in any Sami language. And when you compare it, what is offered in our language to our children with what the global film industry offers to English-speaking children or even Norwegian-speaking children, that a major animation production from a major company like Walt Disney Animation Studios would release a Sami language versions simultaneously with the versions in the majority languages in our the states we live in, like Sweden, Finland. It is huge to us. And it happened in the year of the International Year of Indigenous Languages in 2019. So it was a celebration of one of our languages as well. Well, uh, even if I'm indigenous, <laughs> I grew up with Walt Disney movies. I watched them. I, I truly realized that 
it would probably not have been necessary for such a big corporation to enter into that dialogue with us. I would have to say that I think that they even did that because they didn't know us. They didn't know much about us. So also for them, I guess it was kind of a learning process. Maybe some context that might be necessary to provide to listeners is if you could explain a little bit about the Sami political organization. Um, Something that I think is somewhat unique to the Sami community is institutions that you've touched on already, like the Sami parliament and the sort of broader political representation that the Sami have in the countries that they're indigenous to. Like having lived in Finland for a while, I observed how the Sami community and voice are to some extent, at least, represented um, on kind of a mainstream Finnish political platform are incorporated more into uh, political processes and are given more of a voice than indigenous communities in most countries typically are. So could you explain that a little bit, you know, what the what the Sami parliaments are, what the history is a little bit there of this Sami political kind of organization? Yes, of course. Uh, and I should probably start with explaining that uh, the Sami people, we are an Arctic indigenous people and live across the Sami homela- homelands. And the homelands, our homelands are divided by the borders of four different states, Norway, Sweden, Finland, and and Russia. And we are not a very big people, but nobody counted us. So we might be between 100 and 150,000, maybe, all in all. And the biggest part of the Sami people probably lives on the Norwegian side of the border, where also I live. So we live in in northern Fennoscandia. And I think the model we have for representations is um, kind of colored by the Nordic model of society in many ways, uh, because we have our own representative parliaments in, in all the three Nordic countries, Norway, Sweden and Finland, where our people live, not in Russia, Uh, So the Russian Sami, they join our cross-border cooperation mostly through uh, their Congress. But if I use the Sami parliament in Norway as an example, it was established more than 30 years ago in 1989. And it's established as a Norwegian national parliament act of law. Uh, So we are a part of the... Norwegian democracy. Also, uh, our people is acknowledged in the constitution of Norway. So I think it is a quite different model from any I've seen in in other indigenous areas. But I think it is uh, probably because of, um, well, the Nordic democracies, they are at least trying to be somewhat inclusive when it comes to Sami representation. It's not all perfect, (laughs) not at all, but we have institutions like the Sami parliament. It has 39 representatives, member of parliament from all over the Sami Sami area. It has a governing council, which I led when I was the president. Uh, It has among about 160 uh, employees 
the, and a budget that is probably about 460 million Norwegian crowns, which uh, might seem big in Sami context, but it's like, you know, when it comes to employees, it's like the smallest ministry in Norway. The, when it comes to budget, it's like small municipality. So that's the context. The Sami parliaments, we don't have uh, very much of legislative power. So our influence is through consultations uh, with the government, but we also distribute funds to uh, all kinds of language, cultural, educational uh, work and uh, to several institutions like theater, language centers, museums. And uh, so the Sami parliament is only a part of the institutional structures of the Sami society. And the institutional structure is somewhat separate and somewhat integrated with the mainstream Norwegian society. When it comes to film production, we have our own film institute which is partly funded by the Sami parliament and partly funded by the state of Norway. And so do you think that this, so going back to our discussion about Frozen and Walt Disney Animation Studios, do you think that that these political institutions are in part what allowed this collaboration to take place, that you know, that this kind of political drive was necessary to forming this collaboration? Yes, yes, absolutely. Because when we joined together, the three Sami parliaments and uh, the Sami council, then we were able to have some kind of legitimacy. We were able to see say that we represent the Sami people. Uh, and I couldn't necessarily have done that alone as a president of the Sami parliament on the Norwegian side. But together with the, the two other presidents, we felt that we had legitimacy to say that uh, we speak for our people. And I think in many ways, colonialism has uh, destroyed those kind of uh, structures in indigenous communities. And that makes it really difficult sometimes to reach decisions. Well, I think many indigenous peoples have experienced that corporations or even government agencies have very little patience with our ways of making decisions. To be in dialogue with somebody that are speaking with kind of a corporate structure behind them. In a Sami uh, societal frame, we don't well, hierarchy isn't necessarily our thing. <laughs> we like to discuss until we agree, and that kind of might take some time. You know, that's a big clash. It's a cultural clash of uh, big dimensions. We kind of realized that we had to trust in our abilities to make wise decisions within that uh, group of uh, leaders on behalf of our people. And we also had to trust that the ones, the experts that we sent to offer their uh, advice to WDAS uh, creative team, we had to trust that they 
would be able to make good decisions on behalf of us because all the decisions that they would make would reflect also on us as political leaders. To have that trust in each other, it's not always easy when you are dealing with uh, kind of a colonial aftermath where checks and balances have been destroyed. That is also what I consider one of the most important lessons learned, that we trusted in each other. Mm. And we trusted in the experts that we appointed. It's a good thing. It's a mm. good thing. So I'm interested in this kind of tension that you've been describing between, you know, representing the Sami community or the Sami people across kind of historical Sami versus the fact that, you know, today the Sami are divided across four countries arbitrarily have been separated by, you know, modern nation state borders have been nationalized according to where these borders were laid. And the fact that now, you know, in your political institutions, there are the, well, the three national Sami parliaments that represent the Sami of just one country. But that, as you've been saying, you know, when representing the Sami to kind of an outside audience or representing the Sami on a mainstream or kind of global platform that you have to kind of elide those borders to an extent, or you have to kind of represent the Sami as a kind of cohesive community that might not actually exist or might not actually be the case in the 21st century because of the history of how the Sami have been separated by borders. I guess I'm just wondering, you know, how how do you reconcile that? How do you actually how do you deal with that with representing, you know, a people that have been broken up while still at the same time you at one point represented just the Norwegian Sami? How do you kind of deal with those tensions of nationality versus indigenous community how how do you deal with that well with a great portion of both idealism and pragmatism i feel in my heart that we are one people i believe in my heart that we are one people uh, i realize that it might not always seem like that uh, and we have many practical issues that we are uh, having to deal with on an everyday basis because of the borders through our, our lands. Uh, but when I meet with another Sami, it's not important in our relation if uh, uh, he or she is uh, from the Finnish side or from uh, Swedish side. I know them and, and I believe I understand them. So there's this feeling of. Uh, connectedness of, of uh, common history, this longing to belong that we try to piece together. It's like a broken mirror that we are piecing together and it will never be perfect because it will have cracks. But you can still see the whole picture in it, even if it's cracked. I, I think that's a way of explaining it. So you have to be both pragmatic, but at the same, same time, if you don't believe 
that we are one people, then we might just give up and be Norwegian or, or Finns or whatever. We try to coordinate and cooperate and we try to make sure that resources that are available on, on the Norwegian side, side is also uh, useful on the Finnish and Swedish side and, and vice versa. And uh, this year, uh, we were able to establish our joint language institution, Sami Gelagaldo. Uh, and that's a new thing that we are building, common institutions. Uh, I told you earlier about the three different Sami parliaments. Now, the three different Sami parliaments had joined together and established one institution mm. uh, to work on language issues because our language borders doesn't match mm-hmm. <laughs> with the state borders you know you wouldn't even dare to guess how complicated that would be even in the nordic states because of the different uh, administrative uh, systems it's really, really 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 complicated but we seem to be able to do it anyway with a lot of hard work idealism and pragmatism that's great and you also talked about some of the kind of tangible benefits that the collaboration and the film provided for the Sami community, um, like the film being released in the Sami language. Can you talk a little bit more about that? You know, we're three years out from the release of the film. What do you think has changed in the meantime? I think uh, the two greatest contributions uh, was a Sami language version of the film but also that uh, we were able to offer Sami possibilities for for Samis to uh, join uh, as interns uh, at Disney Animation Studios. Unfortunately, a pandemic happened. (laughs) So that part part of contribution did not happen at the planned time, but I know the uh, opportunity was uh, uh, re-announced uh, early this uh, uh, this year, so I I hope that means that we will be able to to send a Sami intern to further her or his competence on storytelling during this year. That's great. Mm-hmm. And you've also, you know, you've talked about the importance of Sami stories being told with Sami voices and by you know Sami creatives. Do you think that this process or just the film in general has also benefited that in any ways? You know, have you seen, I don't know, an increased interest in Sami children or youth sort of going into creative industries? Have you seen maybe an uptick in investors wanting to invest in Sami filmmaking or anything like that? Yes, I definitely think this um... This has uh, been a positive contribution. Many Sami creatives were able to show uh, what they could do uh, when it came to uh, the process, but also the dubbing of uh, the production of the Sami language version. Uh, So that was valuable experiences for both translators, for actors, for singers, and, and so on. And I think also it was kind of um, a shock to uh, the Norwegian film industry that uh, 
we were able to engage with uh, such an international company that gave us benefits that uh, no Norwegian company ever offered. <laughs> so I think it has created a new benchmark in some, some mm. way that both we uh, can use as an example, but also that uh, other storytelling companies can look to and uh, try to match or try to be better than. Uh, uh, that is valuable also in a political setting. I think it has challenged both ourselves and but also uh, the, the Nordic creative industry in a way that I hope will be very beneficial for the future. And I think also it has shown to many, many Sami children that they can have that kind of content in their own language. You know, that would never have been uh, available when I was a child. It's kind of sad to say that, but it's lifting up the visibility and the status of Sami culture and language, even in our own societies, you know, it has some power. And I wish I could say that that wasn't necessary. I think it has had an impact. It has made us more confident in what we can do and mm -hmm. what we can achieve. Mm. So maybe a, just a final question. So the issue of you know the representation of indigenous peoples in pop culture and mass media is obviously something that affects other indigenous communities and minority groups as well. For example, for a previous episode, I spoke with a Romani human rights activist about the representation of Romani characters in Marvel comic books and the Marvel cinematic universe and the fact that this representation is often negative or stereotypical and you know is done without consultation with the Romani community. So this collaboration that the Sami community initiated with Walt Disney Animation Studios. Do you think that this model could be followed by other indigenous communities or minority groups who are seeking to improve their representation in sort of the sphere of mass media? Do you think that there's a precedent that's been set here that could be kind of successfully replicated by other communities in other contexts? I, I would hope that maybe some other uh, indigenous peoples would look to that and use what they find useful for them. Because I wouldn't dare to tell other indigenous peoples how they mm. should work to secure their own cultural rights. I would guess that not everybody thinks this is a good example uh, because uh, for many, many, many reasons, but first and foremost, because in making this happen, we had to give up some control over how our culture was represented. We realized that we didn't have that control to start with. So <laughs> it was about trying to gain back some control. So I hope it can be a positive example of what can be done. But it's not a perfect example, uh, because in a perfect world, Walt Disney Animation Studios or any production uh, company would have reached out to us first before coming to Sapmi and mm -hmm. asked us to engage in such a process. Uh, and obviously, that's, that wasn't what happened. 
<laughs> but on the same side, I have to say that I think that they dare to do this <laughs> and dare to engage with, with us. I think it's a good example of how such a production company uh, should react when indigenous peoples make contact and ask for recognition. Great. I think that's a good note to end our conversation on. Um, so thank you so much for joining me. That was really interesting. I, I learned a lot. I think you brought up a lot of really interesting insights and like food for thought for listeners about how we can approach media, the media that we consume, um, and how media can be made more accessible to Indigenous communities who might not historically have been presented in or felt themselves represented in pop culture. So thank you so much. Olugito. Thank you. Thank you for listening. And of course, special thanks to Aili Keskitalo for coming on to talk to me. I'll post some links and images and further resources related to the content of this episode on my Twitter at nomads underscore pod. So please check that out if you're interested. You can also contact me there or by email at digitalnomadspod at gmail.com if you have any questions, comments, or feedback, or if there's a topic you'd like me to cover in the future. Thanks so much for listening. Mm -hmm.